0: Last week, I shared with you a message of something Jesus never said, and He never said, everybody goes to heaven. And we saw that uh, Jesus made it very clear, the only way you or myself will go to heaven is if we have a right relationship with Him. And today, we're going to look at another thing Jesus never said. Today, we're going to look at Jesus never said, do what makes you happy. Now, we all want to be happy. We all like to put a smile on our face, and we all want those warm, jittery feelings that come from from being happy, but we often look in all the wrong places for happiness. Our our granddaughter, Carly, loves a good game of hide-and-seek. Now, with her being under three years of age, it's not like adult or even teenage hide-and-seek. It's very different. You can literally take a blanket and cover yourself up, as she often does, and then she will say, find me. And you have to pretend that you're looking everywhere but there, where she obviously is right before your very eyes. And that's the way the game is played, and yet she's very happy when she's found. Sometimes we play the game of life, seeking for happiness, like a toddler played hide-and-seek. We, we look in all of the wrong places and we look for things that will never fulfill that void in our life and yet that's the way we think we can find happiness. Now these are some things that people do to find happiness not just in our day but in Jesus's day and before Jesus. We try to find happiness in things like relationships. We think if we find the one the perfect man, by the way, that doesn't exist. Oh, my. Okay, I didn't expect all those amens. On the flip side, there is no such thing as the perfect woman either. And so we got a, a one little shout there. There's no such thing as the perfect mom or dad or even perfect child. There's no one perfect out there. And so when we began to say... I would just be happy if I found the right person in my life. Listen, it's not going to make you happy. You'll be maybe joyful at times, but sometimes those people just won't make you happy when it's the deep happiness we really need. And then some people believe if I just have enough money, then I'll be happy. And they pursue what money can buy, or they pursue to put money in the bank and and they save, and they save. During the Great Depression, when people lost so much of their money, the generation that lived through the poorest of those times, they they rarely borrowed money. They saved money, and they saved money to buy what they were wanting or looking forward to, and credit was a rare thing back with that generation. Now things are much different. People are in debt up to their eyeballs, trying to fulfill that desire to be happy because believing that money will make them happy. Money doesn't make you happy. Studies have shown that the poorest of countries, when they have a right relationship with God, when they have family that loves and cares for them, and they have the basic necessities of life, those people are actually the happiest people. But when we pursue what money can buy or pursue the hoarding of money, We're not happier. Then there are those who say, you know what? I would be happy if I just could have certain experiences in my life. If I could just travel and I want to go to other countries, if I could travel to another country, or in some cases, if I could just travel to another state, if I could see the Grand Canyon, or if I could have this amazing dining experience or this amazing vacation experience then I would be so much happier, and we define our happiness by what we do in life, but yet it often doesn't fill the void either, those experiences. Then there are those that say, you know, the experience may be, I just need to move to another town, or I may need to change my life, but it, it just won't make you happy. It's plating that game of hide-and-seek where happiness will always just sort of vanish when you get to this new destination. And then there are those who say, you know what, if I was just more famous or if I had a, a certain status of life, then I would be happier. I'm I'm not well-known or I wish I was more well-known or people don't really like me for who I am. And they think, if I just seek that, then I'll be happier. You know, I I don't get on Facebook very much, but I know that there are those who live from for the likes and the kudos that Facebook often brings with it, or Twitter, or TikTok, or any of the other social media events out there. But none of those things will make you ultimately happy. And then there are those who say, you know what, I would just be happier if... My sports team just won, it it won't make you happy. It won't make you unhappy, it just doesn't do much. Some would say, you know, if, if, if my politician would just do what needs to be done, I would be happier. It won't make you happier either. There are all these things in life that we try to fill the void of unhappiness, and we believe that if we put those in our life, we'll just be happier but but they all come up short we even at times believe if i had the right job i would be happier listen happiness comes from something that is much deeper than any of those things that i've just talked about now they can affect our level of happiness they might rob us of some happiness but ultimately What people do is they replace this relationship with another relationship or this job with another job or they replace this money or this house or this whatever you fill in the blank with something else thinking that the something else will make them happy and at the end of the day they're still unhappy because we carry with us often the same problems from this relationship or this house, or this job, or this career, or whatever this happens to be that we're trying to fill that unhappy void with to the next thing without really dealing with the deeper inner need in our life. And that's what I want us to talk about today. There's a verse of Scripture, and Jesus never said, do what makes you happy. Jesus actually challenged us to go much deeper than superficial scratch-and-smell happiness. In this story, in John 8, verses 1 through 11, we we see some incredible events about to happen. I'm going to start reading with verse number 1. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So he went to the Mount of Olives where the Garden of Gethsemane was, and across the way was Jerusalem and the temple. Then in verse 2, at dawn, he went to the temple complex again. And all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. That doesn't sound like a lot of fun, does it? Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked him this to trap him in order that they might have some evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older man. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. And then Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Now, this is a very interesting story. There are three primary characters, and I'm putting the, 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 the Pharisees and the scribes in one category of characters. There's Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of all. There's the woman caught in the very act of adultery. And then there are the religious leaders, and each coming with their own unique Perspective. First, let's look at the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders, the holier-than-thou. They came caring a hootenanny knot about the woman. They only cared about themselves. They cared more about getting rid of Jesus, silencing him because they just didn't like him. As a group, they felt that he was messing with their system. He was messing with their political, their social, and their financial agenda. They didn't like what he said. They didn't like that the crowds loved him. They didn't like that he challenged them. They didn't like the fact that he said to them, you need to change your life. And so they said, we want him gone. We want him out of here. So they figured, how can we trick him and get him to say something bad about the law of Moses, and then we can discredit him, and then we'll be done with him. That was their plan. Now, in their plan, I'm pretty sure they knew about this woman and her lover, probably. So they went, and they caught her in the very act. So when they caught her in the very act of doing this deed, they said, this is our moment. Jesus is in town, we know where she's going, so they went and they got her, and they brought her, and here's the story. Then the woman, here's a woman, apparently unhappy in her marriage, unhappy with the way her life was going, and what did she do? She thought to herself, I could be happier with another man. I could be happier because this other man gives me the attention that I don't get from my current husband, and I'm going to go and be with him secretly. And that's what she did. And now she's caught in this fray of Jesus and the religious leaders. And then, of course, there's Jesus. Jesus did some, I mean, this was absolutely incredible. Incredible. They came with the accusations, she's there in the middle, and as they demanded Jesus to say, hey, what do you say? What do you say? The law says she should be stoned. By the way, the ancient Jews loved a good stoning. I mean, literally, they loved to stone people. They they it, it, After Jesus was killed on the cross and buried and raised from the dead, the apostles that remained. Stephen and others, Paul himself, Paul was stoned multiple times, left for dead more than once. So they they loved a good stoning. And so Jesus knew the risk. He knew the danger, but he also knew that his time wasn't there yet, but he needed to address the problem. So then he just stoops down and starts writing on the dust, the dirt that's there in the temple complex. People have wondered, what did he write? John doesn't tell us what he wrote. But this is what most people believe he wrote. He wrote the sins of the men accusing this woman. That is classic, isn't it? I mean, I don't know what he wrote. I can only imagine what he wrote. Pride, lying... uh, I don't know. I mean, the list could just go on and on. He may have written even adultery. He may have written the word lust, greed. Whatever it was he wrote, he just wrote it. They're ignoring what he's writing because people who don't want to see their own sin and look at the sin in the mirror, they don't want to see that they ignored it and they kept saying, what do you say, what do you say, what do you say? And they were getting angrier by the moment. And then Jesus stood, and he said, okay, whoever among you has no sin, throw the first stone. He didn't condemn the woman. He didn't sentence her to death by stoning because of adultery. But he said, if one of you gentlemen has never sinned, then you throw the first stone. That's pretty powerful. And then Jesus knelt back down and just kept riding in the, in the dirt. One by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones. Now, when we say stones, we're not talking little rocks. We're talking baseball, softball-sized rocks. One by one, they dropped them and they walked off until they were all gone. And it was only Jesus and this woman. And then he asked her, where are your accusers? And she said, there is no one but you. Then Jesus said to her something very profound. Neither do I condemn you. Jesus had the right, the means, the wherewithal, the scriptural basis to condemn her for her sin, But he said, neither do I condemn you. And then he added, go and sin no more. Put it another way, stop committing adultery. Jesus never said for me or you to do what makes you happy. It's like we play a game of hide and seek with our spiritual life, and we We want to be happy, but we're looking in all the wrong places for happiness, for fulfillment, for real peace. And it is only through our relationship with Jesus Christ that we can truly be freed from the things that rob us of happiness. And that's a struggle. It really is a struggle. Because when we look in all the wrong places, it only adds to our unhappiness, our lack of joy, and our lack of peace. We may at sometimes be like the religious leaders. We may be religious. We may know some scriptures, or maybe we know a lot of scripture, and we become pious or self-righteous or whatever word we want to put in, and we fail to deal with our own shortcomings or scripture would say our own sin and we rob ourselves of real happiness or we may be like the woman caught in adultery we're looking in all of the sinful places and we're looking for things that will make us happy in our minds but they actually make us more unhappy John later wrote first second and third John in first John he kind of addressed this a little further and it's not going to be on the screen but first John 2:16 he says this about sin he, he says that when we crave when we desire physical pleasure we rob ourselves when he said we crave everything, That we can see. The the classic verse says, When we have the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh, when we crave the things that please us physically, when we crave the things that we see and want, or when we have pride in our life, the things that we've achieved or the things that we possess, John says, that's when we are robbing ourselves, and we're looking in the wrong places for what we really need. This has been a struggle for us human folk since Adam and Eve. I mean, Eve saw the fruit that was forbidden and said, when the devil talked to her in the form of the snake, well, it does look good to eat. It looked good. We see things, and it looks good, and we say, it will make me happy. But no, no, it did not make Eve happy. It did not make Adam happy. When she took the bite, she said, oh, it's so pleasurable. That tastes very good. You know, by the way, a lot of sinful things, they kind of fun for a moment. I mean... Feels good there for a second or two or three. But it later comes home and it, it bites. It's costly. And when Eve went to Adam, she said, Oh, the devil just told me all these wonderful things about the fruit. He said it was good. And she went on and on and on and on. And she was so proud that she had eaten it and it made her feel so good. And she said, And you need to do the same thing, don't you? and he's like oh i don't think we should do that but he listened to her and he he did it see eve from john's gospel there the, the, the epistle she did all three in one moment but that's like most of us we just all we buy into it but ultimately what we're doing is we're robbing ourselves of what god wants to give us remember john said this in john 1010 10, He said, Jesus said, I have come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. And then he added, but the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. So we're in this spiritual battle where the Lord says, I want to give you God's best, inner peace, inner joy. And the devil whispers in the ear and says, That's a bunch of malarkey. You're not going to be really happy if you do what he wants you to do. And the devil's so crafty, we listen too often to his voice. And we're robbed. We're just robbed. And so, what in the world does this really mean for us? Well, how many of you, you, don't don't raise your hands, okay? Okay. Please don't raise your hands. This is just between you and God right now. Have you ever sought happiness through a relationship? Don't don't raise your hands. You know, if, if I just had the right one, then I'll be happier. I can guarantee you, I know this to be true. I'm very happy with my wife. I'm not always happy with my wife. She she knows that, I hope. She's not always happy with me. She's mostly happy with me. Did you catch that? Mostly. And there's times that, I mean, these were little things. I mean, this is through the years that I've snored at night. Do you know what it's like to be laying there quietly enjoying some good sleep and your husband or your wife is just sawing some logs? You just got up to go to the bathroom and you came back and he or she's just sitting there. And then you are about to fall asleep and it... And you hear this and you hear this and you finally poke him or her and you kind of say, would you just roll over? I remember one night years ago, I was sawing some logs. It was amazing until I had the largest poke in my side with an angry woman leaving the bedroom Uttering these words, I'm going where I can get some sleep. She didn't say it like that. Now, for tit for tat, I've done the same thing with her. It's not all me. It's her. It's not her. It's me. It's both of us. Why? Because we're humans. We can give each other happiness. And we can also rob each other of some happiness. For those of you that don't know, I have extreme OCD issues. For example, I'm the only one in our house who can properly load a dishwasher. I mean, that's the truth. I I know it's true. If, If you want me to teach you how to load your dishwasher and to pack it as full as possible and get everything spotless clean, I'm your man. But I can guarantee you this, that won't make you happy. There have been moments when I have been known to go behind my wife or my daughters and reload the dishwasher because it wasn't done properly. Do you know what that says to those other folks, whether it's Rhonda or my children? I ain't gonna do it no more. Now, there's a part of me that makes me happy with that because then it's like, I'm in control. Here's what I'm trying to say. We people have our quirks that can drive other people batty. And there's no person that will truly make you happy. So if you're searching for somebody to make you happy, it ain't gonna happen. If, if you're looking for money to make you happy, it will not make you happy. I mean it just will not make you happy. There is no amount of money That you can put into your bank account or that you can spend that will make you happy. And I'm not gonna rehash that list from earlier, but whatever you might seek to make you happy, Jesus said, I never told you to do what was happy. What Jesus wants us to do is literally look in the mirror and see ourselves as He sees us. We literally are people who need a Savior. We need somebody who created everything, who knows us inside and out, and we need to learn to yield to his will and his way of living and doing life if we're really going to be happy. Because when we look in all the other places apart from Jesus, we're never going to be happy. Paul said it this way. This, this is uh, in Philippians chapter 3, by the way. Paul kind of gave his history, and he said, I was a Pharisee, and I was zealous for the law, and I did all of these things throughout my entire life. He said, I was a Hebrew, I was this, I was that, I was successful, I was famous, I was a rising star, I persecuted the early church, and he said, I, 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 I did all of these things thinking that I was right in this world. And he said, and I felt good about it until, he said, I met Jesus. He said, when I was on the road to Damascus and Jesus himself appeared to me and asked me, why are you doing what you're doing? He said, oh, I'm doing what you want me to do. And he said, no, you're not doing what I want you to do. You're doing what you want to do. And you need to change that, Paul, if you're going to be happy, if you're going to be blessed, and if you're going to experience peace. And Paul said, oh, you know what? Okay. And he said it was at that moment when he looked back later that everything he had done to pursue happiness and purpose and fulfillment, Paul said all of that was just garbage. It was all worthless. It got me nowhere. And he later wrote to the Philippian church in chapter 3. He said, I had to come to the point where I needed to simply say, I want to know Jesus. Not just know him in my brain. He said, but I needed to know him in my heart, in my life. I realized that the creator of the world knew what I needed more than anything. And when I knew him in a relationship, it was then and only then could I experience real happiness. And that's where a lot of people get messed up. They know Jesus in their brain. But they don't really know him in their heart. They're, they're not, it's like I know about Jesus, but I don't know him relationally. I, I knew Jesus before I knew Rhonda, by the way. And she's important to me. I knew Jesus before I had any children. They're important to me. And I knew Jesus before any of my grandchildren came along. They're important, but he's more important. One day, I'll breathe my last, or Rhonda will breathe her last, and the list could go on and on and on. And I'm, I'm going to have to learn if she goes before me or, God forbid, one of my children go before me or my son-in-laws go before me or my grandchildren go before I have got to learn that Jesus is the only one that can truly fill my deepest needs. And like Paul said, I've got to know Jesus Not just in my brain, but in my heart. And I'm pursuing this relationship with him to grow. And he also said in Philippians chapter 3, I want to experience the power of his resurrection in my life. See, a lot of us kind of know Jesus. But we don't want to go through the hard stuff. The challenges. The tough things that stretch our faith. to experience his power to overcome the things that are robbing us. Can you imagine if Adam and Eve in their little interchange, if the powerful presence of God had appeared at that moment before Adam took the bite and the Lord said, Adam, what are you about to do? I mean, let's just think Adam kind of was goofy at that moment. I'm going to eat this fruit that my wife says it's so good. And the Lord would say, mm, you think that's going to make you happy? You think you're going to know good and evil? Uh, she said it would. No, he wouldn't have done that. See, we're like Adam. We listen to the goofy thoughts in our brain and the goofiness literally of Satan himself And then we rob ourselves of the powerful presence of the indwelling Spirit of God. When we know Jesus, we have to say, Jesus, I don't want to do this because it's hard, and I don't want to go through that because it's difficult. There have been moments in Ron and I's life when we we fought. Yeah, we fought. We still fight every now and then. When we have those moments where we fight, it popped in my mind once, I could live without her. She makes me mad. And then the Lord whispered in my ear and said, you married her. And I'm like, well, yeah, I did, but she makes me mad sometimes. There's probably somebody else out there that wouldn't do that. The Lord said, You really think that? Haven't you met other women? Talked to other women? Talked to other people? You think there's a perfect woman out there? Lord, I'm like, No. Well, you go over there and make up with her then. God, I don't really want to do that right now. She's mad. There have been moments in the middle of the night, well, maybe not the middle of the night, I'll go in and say, Ron, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. That was insensitive. We make up. You know why? It's not easy to do these. When we get stubborn and selfish and bullheaded and we look in all the wrong places for happiness, God says, when you know me as Lord and Savior and when you let the Holy Spirit fill and indwell you and empower you, you can work through the most difficult of circumstances and situations. You can endure. The last part of what Paul said is the most difficult part and I'll close on this. He said, I want to know Jesus and I want to experience his resurrection power and I want to suffer for Jesus. That's opposite of happiness, isn't it? Suffering. Who wants to suffer? Sign me up for the suffering wagon. I want want my life to be harder. We want life easy. But it's through suffering. Paul the Apostle The man who persecuted Christians before he became a Christian himself became persecuted. He was stoned. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was belittled. He was made fun of. And the list goes on and on. And it was all because he spoke out for his faith. But he was a man that we today look up to and say, what a guy. We have to suffer a little bit because this is what suffering does. Suffering purifies us, it burns out the stuff that God does not want in our life. It burns out the things that we seek to make us happy that actually rob us of happiness. We need a little suffering. We need to face the things we don't want to face. The things that cause angst in our heart because it's those things that ultimately rob us of the peace that he wants to give us, which ultimately make us happier. Or to put it this way, peaceful and joyful. So we have decisions to make. And the decision is this. Do I want to keep living my life, pursuing the things that are easy and simple so I can be, quoted, happy? Or do I want to become more like Jesus and do the harder work so that later I can overcome what robs me of real happiness and experience an inner peace that only He can give me. And that's a choice we all have to make. And I hope you make the best choice. Otherwise, you'll continue to be unhappy. I and mean, there ain't nobody that can fix it but you with Jesus' help. Let's pray together.